Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. Other people have pointed it out, and at this point, I cannot deny it, I am obsessed with this colleague that I keep telling you about, the 40-something with the long the long rap sheet who lies about everything. Last night at the restaurant, I was working a double, business was slow, and at one point, I saw him over in the corner, he was sitting at a high top, and he was just chit-chatting with the manager. Now, this colleague, you might remember, his name is James, and he speaks exclusively about himself, in terms that are exclusively glowing. He tells stories about how he makes tens of thousands of dollars every month from six different revenue streams, that he owns a business in northern Florida, and he pulls a military pension and a pension from the fire department. He says he spent 20 years in the military, four years at NYU, and now at the age of 40, he drops this bomb on us last night out of nowhere, I sit down and I overhear him say, first to my manager and then encompassing me in the conversation, yeah, this is no thing. I've been to law school, but I went there for 10 years. 10 years in law school, first in Jersey and then I switched over to Connecticut and I finished in Connecticut. And I heard that and I was like, 10 years? Normally I hedge my voice around him because I don't want to create an awkward situation and I want to just, normally when he says something outlandish like that, I want to just kind of like ask a couple of gentle questions that maybe hint him toward the fact that the thing that he just said is very difficult to believe. But this time, when he said that last night, and maybe it's because I was tired, but I don't know, I just sounded nakedly incredulous. It just snapped out of me. And yes, some, and some of it was to do with my mood, my exhaustion, maybe some frustration with the fact that I wasn't making money. But come on, most of it was just because the thing that he said was so patently fucking absurd. Not only because he's got, and I hate to bring this up, a Talmudically long rap sheet that goes back to like the, the mid-90s, but there's also the fact that it is widely known that law school does not encompass a 10-year curriculum. You, can, you can't get that. If someone like told me legitimately, yeah, I was in law school for 10 years, I would think some they had been tied there, that they had been on a leash in a basement. Another thing that I don't particularly like to mention here is the fact that it's hard to believe that he spent 10 years in med, in, in law school and, and wrapping things up in Connecticut because I, I, I get the vibe after working with this dude for six months that the longest word in his vocabulary is Connecticut. But what the fuck do I care? That's what I keep asking myself. Why do I, why am I so like re reactionary about this? Why am I so volcanically compelled to point out to him the idiocy of the thing he just said? It has now been eight years since the thing I'm about to tell you, and I still cringe to remember it, but when I was a senior in college, I had a very remarkable roommate. He, he, he was a polyglot, he spoke four languages, and he came, he had just arrived recently from Azerbaijan. Very smart guy, very capable, he is now very wealthy, but because he had basically learned English in school, and he had never really been a practicing English speaker in, you know, regular colloquial settings, he manifested certain idiomatic tics when he spoke English. In particular, he had these three phrases, basically speaking, kind of a thing, and sort of a way. So basically speaking, I went to the movies, and there was a kind of a thing in the line. We were waiting to get in, and there was kind of a zigzag thing, sort of a way, and I couldn't tell, 
I couldn't tell where to stand, basically speaking. And these these little verbal tics, these little rhetorical flourishes, I, they're they're sort of nervous things, and they never impeded the thing he was trying to communicate. They never obscured his message. And yet one day we were drinking in our living room. Everything was fine, but then I I just it 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 pinched my nipple, and I was like, Do you realize that you always say, basically speaking, kind of a thing, sort of a way? And dude, he looked fucking mortified. And I went on to realize after that, especially when, when, when a couple years later, I was working as in a tutoring center at Miami-Dade College, and I can the staff and the faculty were basically my peers. So many of my colleagues were Hispanic, like myself. It's Miami, so mostly Cuban. I realized that no matter their accomplishments, no matter their intellectual or academic pedigree, they were almost uniformly self-conscious about their accent or little rhetorical flourishes like the ones I'm describing, where maybe they are voluminously well-read in the language of English, whether it's English literature, English law, whatever, but when speaking it, it doesn't come out right. And that anxiety is well-founded. It tends, from the stories that I would hear, it, it tends to come from some formative encounter in their life where they were trying to assert themselves in an authoritative and clear-headed way, and someone just, someone just venomously drew incessant attention to their accent and used the accent as means for delegitimizing their point. Just, I'm just trying to ladle some shame into this. So we were talking about James and how I jumped on him for his, you know, his story about spending four score and seven years in law school. And despite my earlier hangups that I was mentioning in previous episodes about like not wanting to rustle this guy's feathers or humiliate him because obviously his lies come from a place of pain, a feeling that he hasn't substantiated his life or lived up to anything. I didn't, I didn't yield to those impulses this time, and I just outright said to him, James, you did not spend 10 years in law school. He popped his shoulders and said, yeah, I did. I was going to be a criminal defense lawyer. Were you, like, studying to defend the criminals of space? Unless you were studying intergalactic law, I'm pretty sure it doesn't take... 10 years to get a law degree. Again, he just popped his shoulder and cocked his head, and I saw his eyes get wide in a kind of boyish way, and he goes, yeah, no, but some, but most lawyers, they take the shorter route, and they go out and they do the law, but they don't know the whole thing. They don't know all the law. They just do that, that like, shorter, that shorter thing. And so I, I was on the track, though, the longer track where you're going to learn the whole thing. For 10 whole years, you were on that track. 10 years, yeah, 10 years. A, de a decade of law school. Yeah, that's what, yeah. I started in Jersey, and then I finished it up in Connecticut. And I said, okay, you're 40, you, so you must have been, you said you were in the military for 20 years, you must have been doing this while you were in the military. Yeah, that's how I did it, I was in the military at the time, and they paid for it. I was gonna pay for it myself, I got, I had, I had some money at the time, I had loans, and I was like, yo, I can do this myself, I got good grades, and they were like, no, hey, James, we want to do this for you. I was like, huh, alright, you want to do it for me, go ahead. But when did you do this? You said you were in Afghanistan, you said you did, like, several tours, how did, like, is that what you're saying, the 10 years is, like, because it was broken up from service? Yeah, no, I was in, I was in Afghanistan, I did this after, I did this after Afghanistan. I was in Afghanistan. 2002 to 2004 and then I went back and I so okay you you but you're you got that military pension you said you okay so you were active duty for 20 years up until 2018 yes sir the military paid paid for your full-time decade 
of legal studies. Legal, legal studies that most people finish in two years. Yeah, no, but the two-year thing, that's when people don't do the whole course. They, they, do, they do the smaller one, and then they just go out, and they're kind of winging it, but I wanted to do the full completed James, thing. it doesn't work like that. That's not how... My dad was a criminal defense lawyer. Yeah, I know, no, though. How long that education Yeah, no, because no, what happened is I got... You only go on deployment so many times, and I went out, and, like, I did a lot of shit. Like, I did serious shit, and they were like, yo, you want to take some time off? You want to go to school? We'll pay for it. You know what I'm saying? So, plus, the, the, way, the way they were thinking is that, like, you're going to come out of this, and you're going to be, like, this fucking know-it-all lawyer, and they were like, shit, we want a lawyer like that here, and so that's what the military does, is they put people in, like, those advanced legal programs, because they want, like, the military needs lawyers. Okay, so what about your degree? Nah, after a while, I was like, fuck this, I ain't wasting more years on this shit, because it was getting boring, you know what I mean? It was getting boring. Plus, lawyers, like, you can't trust lawyers. I met killers, I met crooks, I met terrorists, weren't none of those people worse than some of the lawyers I met, hand to God. James, okay, James, you spent 10 years in law school, it was no big deal, and you dropped out because you, it took you 10 years to realize that lawyers are more evil than terrorists. And at this point, it was getting uncomfortable for all three of us at the table, and like, you could see on James's face, his discomfort, and you could see that he was feeling cornered and, and that he knew he was being found out, and... And this is the dark thing, and I don't mean to sound flip about this. It's something I am legitimately trying to confront in myself. I enjoyed seeing him writhe under the questioning. And I don't like that there was like a legitimately vindictive delight that I was taking in feeding this man's bullshit back to him. At the same time, though, while I know that it's fucked up for me to pursue, you know, the, the writing of his the correction of his lies so doggedly, like, like I'm some kind of fucking masked vigilante for the truth in this pizza parlor. And there's part of me that's like, why does everyone shrug this off? Why is everyone just accepting the fact that he's spouting utter bullshit? But I realize that the reason they're shrugging it off and just going along with it is because it has nothing to do with his abilities as a server. Because he's a terrific server, and he's a terrific colleague in general. He goes above and beyond the call of duty, he helps people out. He is a genuinely wonderful dude. And I feel ever more predacious that, you know, I'm just fucking hopping on to this genuinely sweet dude and trying to make him look like a fool. Which reminds me of this week that I spent with a sex worker in Connecticut. Okay, so that dangling transition was just a, a crude cliffhanger. Her name is Mary, and we're still friends. Mary was, very briefly, a sex worker in Boston, where she's from. And the two of us met and became friends because we were both accepted to a summer writers' conference at an Ivy League university when we were both, like, seniors in college, which I can assure you is not so lofty an event as it sounds. It was actually pretty lurid and sad. And yet I, I question, why do I leap to communicate that, oh yeah, it was an Ivy League thing, not that that matters. Obviously, I think that it matters, and I want you to know that I was accepted into this program by an Ivy League school, but I also want you to know that it kind of sucked. But I didn't know it was going to suck at the time, and I, like everyone else, I think wasn't, most people, was enchanted by the loftiness of the name of this Ivy League university. And part of what Mary and I bonded over when we were there is the fact that, for one thing, we were the youngest people there by about 15 years. She was 20 and I was 21, but also the fact that we showed up so dewy-eyed. But we were romantic and dewy-eyed and naive about the institution. That's the one thing we were both equally naive and romantic about. Because I was, I was dewy-eyed and romantic about everything in life, but Mary, as I said, had been a sex worker in Boston for a couple years. She had a way more refined and gritty sense of the world and of, uh, and of grown men and the ways in which men are cruel and weak and desperate for approval. 
Anyway, at this conference, there was, a, there was an elderly and very decorated and venerated novelist who was basically playing the role of, like, keynote speaker. So he shows up in, like towards the, towards the end of the conference, which I think was 10 days, and he's going to read from a current work in progress, and then he's going to do a Q&A. Now, the author at this time was very old. Uh, he, he just recently died. But at the time, despite his many years and his many awards, despite his pedigree, this dude could not refrain from making comments about black women. He loved black women. In his own language, the word I think some of us might use for his attitude toward black women was fetishization. He ogled them when they passed, he pointed them out to people as if, you know, it was it was some sort of mythic creature and we were all gonna like drop our jaws. Everyone, it was, it was such a farce, you would see everyone who sat around him at lunch that day. You know, he was quiet and he spoke sparingly because he's a very old guy and they were all talking at him, trying to flex their wisdom about the craft of writing, trying to impress him. And meanwhile, he's just slowly chewing candy, looking around the cafeteria, not really listening, until suddenly his eyes light up and he points to the other side of the room where a black woman has just walked in and she's maybe absent-mindedly sifting through her purse, or she's on the phone, or she's talking with someone. And this old man, this old decorated novelist will say, look, look at what she's doing. It was problematic. Anyways, at one point, I'm sitting with Mary outside of a bar called The Anchor, and we were smoking cigars that we had bought at a smoke shop nearby. And at this point, we're sitting out there, we're smoking, and one of the dudes from the conference, one of the fellow aspiring writers, he's older and he comes up to us and he goes, guys, and incidentally, I don't want to say the name of this writer, the venerated writer figure who was visiting the, the octogenarian, so let's just call him Writer Man. Guys, Writer Man was telling us this story at lunch, and he was talking about um, the black woman who sort of swipe, swipes cards at the front of the cafeteria and let him in, and he was telling us this story, and everyone was in stitches laughing about he said this one witty thing to her, and she said a witty thing back, and uh, so lunch broke up, and they all left, and then I went to the lady at the front of the cafeteria, and I said, oh, writer man told us about your, 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 your funny little exchange, and it turns out, guys, guys, it didn't happen. She said all she did was swipe his card and he came inside. He, he made it all up. This dude sounded so scandalized by the fact that the author had lied to us. And as he told the story, I too started to feel scandalized. And then he walked away when the story was over. And my cigar had kind of ashed out at that point because I'd been so scandalized by the story that I had stopped smoking it. So I look over to Mary, I'm wide-eyed, and I'm like reaching for the matches, and I'm like, can you fucking believe that? Dude's 87 years old, and he's fucking making up stories like that, and I'm going on about it, and Mary's just giving me the driest look ever. And once I finish sort of dramatizing how shook I am by this encounter, she goes, yeah, Alex, the novelist made up a story. I can hardly believe it. And I think of that exact moment, that exact image, that exact line, all the time, like whenever I'm confronted, and it happens all the time, confronted by my own naivete, finding myself jarred by the selfishness or chicanery or dishonesty of a, some sort of respectable or reputable adult, I think of that moment and of that 20-year-old woman with her legs crossed and her big cigar smoked halfway down, sitting on the patio of a bar, watching as grown men sat around being dishonest and wounded and shocked with one another, and just being very bored by it. And maybe it's something about be standing myself on that side of the gender fence, but I just cannot figure out that aspect of men's dishonesty and spinning tall tales and whatever it is 
they're trying to communicate about themselves, and I don't think I could ever figure it out, no matter how much I, I, I tried, not even if I went to law school for 10 years. listening to the Thousand Movie Project podcast. If you like what you heard and you'd like to hear more of it, you can of course check out our back catalog, but you can also support the show by becoming a patron. If you go to patreon.com forward slash thousand movie project, or if you just go to patreon.com, there's like a search bar. I don't know if you can find this show if you just type in my name, but definitely if you type in the name of the show, it will come up. All those donations get pulled up and they amount ultimately to like what I would earn at a shift every month, what I would earn in a shift of bartending, which means that every now and then I can take off a bartending shift and just churn out an episode. Apart from providing some financial breathing room, it's also super like encouraging to think that anyone is listening to this and they're like so interested and so supportive that they're gonna like throw a few bucks at me. Like, so for the for the financial well-being of the show, the regularity of the show, and for the, the warming kernel of encouragement, you can again Go to patreon.com, search for a thousand movie project podcast, and make a, ple make a pledge. As usual, thank you for listening, and thanks for your support.